Amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn with me to Genesis 17. We are moving on in our study in the life of Abraham, um, a journey of faith. Uh, we're, I, I guess, pretty close to about halfway through. I think we have nine sermons after this, so we have it figured to get through the life of Abraham. But I pray that it's been um, enlightening so far to see uh, how God has used this one man and his faith in order to bring about nations who are blessed with the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at 17, I just want to throw up, I want to show you uh, five points that we're going to talk about. Uh, and so I just want to give them to you in advance so that you can kind of, as we're reading through the Scripture, you can kind of be thinking, have that train of thought of uh, what we're going to be covering. And so these are our facts from Scripture today we're going to find in this passage. One is a renewed promise to Abraham. And what I want you to notice is that all throughout Abraham's life, God continually reminds him of the promise of the covenant that he's made with him. And so Abraham, like the rest of us, there are times when he begins to wonder. Right right now, Abraham's 99 in this chapter. As we begin the chapter, he's been waiting for 24 years for the promise of God. He still hasn't seen it yet. He and his wife have decided to try to play God and, and have a son with the, her handmaiden, Hagar, uh, named Ishmael, the son. And so now we're about to see God reaffirm the plan and the promise he made to Abraham. I would just say to you that if you're patient with God, when you're seeking God, His timing, His, His will for your life, that if you're patient, God will reveal where He wants you, when He wants you, and what He wants you doing there. Second is this, the sign of the promise. This is where we get into uh, the circumcision. Where God says circumcision is going to be a sign of the promise that I've made with you. Much like the rainbow was a promise to Noah that when you see this, you're going to be reminded of the promise that I've made you. This would be the same for Abraham, his sons, and all male descendants. And, and then we're going to talk about this. We're going to see a promise for Sarah. Up until this point, God's made promises to Abraham, but he really hasn't said anything about promises to Sarah. Remember, it's just a chapter ago where Sarah comes up with the great idea, sleep with my handmaiden so you can get a descendant. But we don't see God push her away. We don't see herself disqualified because of her mistake. Rather, we see God come to her and make promises of the plans he has for her life. We also see two sons and two promises. God's a faithful God. He saw the heart of Hagar as she struggled with the mistreatment from Sarah, uh, the anger and resentment that now she was pregnant with Abraham's child, and God said, I see you, and I won't forget you, and your son, even though he's going to be a wild man, right, he's still going to be blessed. I will not forget him. And so we see two promises, a promise for Ishmael and a promise for Isaac in this renewal of the covenant God makes. And then we're just going to notice the act of obedience that Abraham goes through. All right, here's what I love. And with people of faith in Scripture, is they don't stick around to try to decide exactly how things are going to work out. When God says do something, they just do it. And we as believers ought to be the same way. When we know God's will, then we just do it. And there, listen, there are just some things that are clear-cut black and white. I understand there's some things that aren't always just black and white. But there are a lot of things that are simply black and white. Scripture makes it very clear, this is sinful, this is against the will of God, that we just don't mess with. 
Or we are to tell other people about the gospel of Jesus Christ that we do because the word's commanded us to do it. And so I want to read the scripture. I just kind of want to give you that as you see the breakdown of the chapter. Hopefully as we read through it, that'll make more sense. And then we're just going to take a look at each one of those uh, five points. Uh, here you go. The, the fifth point, by the way, has no subpoints, And so really, it's like preaching a four-point sermon. All right? That'll ease your mind a little bit about time-wise. Um, so I just put the fifth up there to bother you. Um, but when we get to it, it won't take that long. Verse 1, Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I'm God Almighty. This is El Shaddai, right? So this is where we see El Shaddai, God Almighty, the God in which all things are possible. In fact, when I titled this, I titled it, The Lord Almighty, All Things Are Possible. The Lord Almighty, El Shaddai. That's who you serve when there's a mountain in your path and you need a mountain moved. You serve El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you, God speaking to Abraham. You will become the father of many nations. Over and over, God reminds him, I haven't forgot about you. At 99 years old, you may understand why Abraham might need to be reminded, why the covenant might need to be renewed. If you've been praying about something for 24 years and expecting God to deliver, then you might understand how Abraham feels. It's natural to have doubt. It's natural to wonder when God's going to come through. But here's what I can tell you you can take for certain, that if God has said it, God will do it. He's the God of His Word. As for me, here's my covenant with you, verse 4 says, you will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. Verse 6, I will make you extremely fruitful and make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout the generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give a land where you are residing. All the land of Canaan as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. Verse 10 says, this is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. And every one of your males must be circumcised. Here's the sign of the covenant that's been made. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring, whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin, he may be cut off. From his people, he has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. And Abraham fell face down 
then he laughed to himself. I ask you to consider, you, does anybody have trouble seeing why this is kind of a little funny to Abraham? 24 years we've been waiting? Really? I'm about to be 100, Sarah's about to be 90. Are you really going to give a 90-year-old woman? Is she going to conceive a child? You can understand. Maybe it wasn't even like a laughter of like, oh, this isn't true. Maybe it's just the thought of being 100 years old and having another child. Can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. Here we, here we go again. Come on, God. We're, I'm 100, she's 90. Just use Ishmael. He's already here. But God said, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a child. And you will name him Isaac. And I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders. Does this sound familiar? Ishmael is going to father 12 tribal leaders. They're going to be the 12 tribes of Ishmael. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. So Abraham took his son Ishmael and those born in his household or purchased every male among the members of Abraham's household and he circumcised their flesh of their foreskin on that very day just as God had said to him. Abraham didn't wait around. He had a word from God. He knew what God's desire was. He knew the will of God. God had told him to do something. And so as soon as God withdrew, Abraham got about the business of doing what God called him to do. Listen, if God has called you to do something, you're sitting here this morning, you know God has been placed something on your heart, maybe a heaviness, maybe a burden in your life. Maybe the truth is you've gotten really far away from God. You may be a Christian, you may be saved, but you just have no more passion left for God. You don't have a passion for His Word. You, you just don't have that zeal to really be about intimacy with God. Maybe today what you need to do is seek God so that you might have that passion again for His Word. There's nothing better than having a passion for God's Word. For getting up in the morning and the first thing you pick up is the Word of God and you open it and it's like, like manna from heaven. There are times when I wake up and I don't feel like reading. There are times when I wake up and I don't feel like reading my Bible. There are times when I'm planning a sermon that quite frankly I just don't feel like it. Every time that happens, I just do it anyway and before I know it, the passion for God's words returned. D.L. Moody said, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. It's imperative we read it every day. It's imperative that we feast on it. If we're not feasting on the word of God, then friends, we are opening ourselves up for sinfulness in our life. He circumcised the flesh of the foreskin that very day. Just as God had said to him, 24, Abraham was 99 years old. The flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. Verse 25, and his son Ishmael was 13 years old 
when he was circumcised. On that very day, Abraham and son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his household, whether born in the household or purchased from uh, far and where circumcised, they were circumcised with him. I'm going to throw those five points back up again, and then we'll walk through them. Uh, I pray that God honors the reading of his word. Amen? God's promised that when his word goes out, it doesn't return void. I believe that God's word is already doing a work that it's intended to do today. If you're here today and you need a word from God, his word is already working in your life. Amen? So let's wake up, let's set up, and let's get through. The first is this. There's a renewed promise with Abraham. This is the promise that God makes. First he says, Abraham, uh, your name will be called Abraham instead of Abram. I'm going to make you the father of many nations, of many people. Abraham's struggling just to figure out how he's going to be uh, the, the father or grandfather of one. He's already been told Ishmael is not going to be the son of the promise. And so Abraham's looking around, well, God, if Ishmael's not going to be the son of promise, where's the son of promise? Where's the son that you're going to fulfill the covenant you made with me? And you can already tell by the way that Abraham responds to God, he's already assumed there's not coming another son. I'm 99. There's not going to be another son. God says to Abram, I'm going to give you a son. Abram says, we already got one. Why don't you just let Ishmael be the one? And God says, because Ishmael is not the son of promise, you're going to have a son from Sarah. That will be the promise. The wife that I brought you, she's going to be the one that will bear the son of promise. Abraham laughs. Not at God. You understand, Abraham knew you don't laugh at God. Isn't it something to think this? Even God says some things that are funny to us. And when God said, Abraham, you're 99, you're going to have a child, that just kind of hit a funny bone with Abraham. All right. God, are you serious? I mean, she's 90 years old. I'm 100. But I've made you a promise and I plan to keep the promise. I've made a covenant with you, and I plan to keep the covenant. The second thing is that many kings and nations are going to arise and will come from the descendants of Abraham. Abraham, you're not just going to be the father of many descendants, but you're going to be the father of leaders and kings. Your descendants are going to rule many lands. Now, I told you last week that typically speaking from like a human geography point of view, that really you can look to the Middle East and see two tribes. You can see the tribe of Ishmael and you can see the tribe of Isaac. And most of the people in the Middle East today, we can trace them back to one of these two fathers of people groups. Number three, here's what he says. Um, Abraham, I'll make an everlasting covenant with your descendants. Now, Abraham, the covenant I'm making with you will extend beyond your life and it will continue on from one descendant to another descendant. Abraham, what I'm promising you doesn't stop with you. What I'm giving you, Abraham, what I'm promising you is a legacy that's going to be passed down from generation to generation. Every decision we make, church, is going to impact those people who are, who are directly in contact with us and then through them going to continue to have a ripple effect. What, what kind of example are you being? What kind of legacy are you leaving? Are you leaving a godly example? 
Do you, do you feel good about where your kids are going to be based on the example that you've been to them, based on what you, what you placed as a priority in your life? Sonia and I are like, we're completely different people, right? And Sonia is a loving person. I don't want to say I'm not a loving person, but I'm not very emotional, right? I cry like the fox and the hound, not like drama stories. Sonia's very loving. Sonia wants to, uh, to have like great relationships with our kids. I don't care. I want our kids to be raised right. If they get out of line, I'm going to get them back in line pretty quick. We can be friends after they grow up and move out. We probably can't be friends until then. And so our family needs both what Sonia and I offer. And in that picture of marriage, we see a picture of what God offers to all of us. That, that it takes a man and a woman to complete and fulfill what God himself can do. I know sometimes it's different, man. Sometimes it's mama who whips and tears up. And it's dad who's best friend. I love my kids. I told them that the day they were born, right? If I change my mind, I'll let them know. No, I, I, I tell my kids I think I love them every single day. I don't want my kids angry with me, and I certainly don't want to discourage my kids, but if they step out of line, I'm not afraid to get them back in line. That, that's the job I've been given. All right, I'm going to have to answer one day for what I allowed my kids to do. Every father in this room, you're going to answer before God Almighty for what you allowed your kids to do. Every future father, father in this place, you're going to answer to God for what you allow. Heavy is the burden of the head that wears the crown. When God said, fathers, you're going to be the head of your household spiritually, that wasn't like, oh, I'm going to rule with a heavy hand from a throne. It's no, you're going to be responsible for everything that takes place within your household. I'll make an everlasting covenant with your descendants. I, I want my life to still be making a difference after I'm dead and gone. Anybody else care about those kind of things? I want my life to be, I'm dead and gone. I'm still making a difference in my family's life. In those that God placed in my sphere of influence. There are men who are still making an impact on my life who died years and years and years ago. That's, what, that's the kind of father I want to be. I do want to get to the point one day when my kids do what they're all supposed to do, move out, right? I want to have relationships where we can go and just do things and relax. I want to wait till they have kids and let them see what it's like to be a parent. I want to leave a godly legacy is what I want to leave. I don't want to stand before God one day and God say, yeah, you were a great friend, but you were a lousy parent. I'd much rather hear, man, you were a good father to them. You, you could have been more of a friend. I can live with that. If I err on one side, I want to err on the side of being a father who leaves a legacy. We know that God talks about 
when we live godly lives that it's passed down from generation to generation. The same is true when we live in ungodly ways, in worldly ways. When we are living outside the will of God, it impacts our families, not just us. Many of you grew up in homes and in households where either a father or a mother, or maybe you live with a grandmother, where they were addicted to alcohol or something like that, and you, you still bear the scars of what it was like to live in a home where somebody didn't live a godly lifestyle. And then many of you in here today, you lived in a home that was godly, where mom and dad raised you in a godly manner, where when mom said, you better do this because when your dad gets home, you did it. Where when you scratched your knee, mom was there to put a little neosporin on it and a band-aid. And that's influence and impact your life. And some of you are trying to get out of generational tendencies. I, I look back in generations and one side of my family and only a couple generations ago, nobody told anybody they loved them. My dad told me about every day he loved me. I tell my kids every day I love them. But throughout the generations, that had been the legacy. It took somebody to step up and break the legacy. Know this, when you live a godly lifestyle, God will bless not only you, but God will continue to bless those who come after you. And then he says this, I'll give the whole land of Canaan to your descendants. How many of you remember when uh, they're on the ark, right? Noah and his sons, they come off the ark, Noah builds a vineyard. Noah gets drunk, right? He's naked, and there the sons are. And Ham makes fun of his dad, basically. He mocks his dad, who's naked and drunk. He calls his brothers up, kind of like, hey guys, come check this out. Disrespectful, right? And, and so Ham is punished. But it's not Ham who's literally punished. God says, I'm going to punish Canaan. This was Ham's son. And he says, because of your disobedience... Canaan is going to be punished. Canaan will be the slave to your brother's children. And we see when God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you all the land of Canaan, that it's exactly what was promised to Ham when he sinned against his father. Canaan will build their own homes. Canaan will build vineyards. Canaan will build cities. And you'll inherit them without even building them. God tells Abraham again, what I told Ham about his son Canaan will be fulfilled in you and your descendants. Canaan will build cities, but your descendants will live in them. Canaan will plant vineyards, but your descendants will harvest them. And so we see a renewal of the same covenant. Then we see the sign of the promise Every time God makes a covenant with someone in Scripture, there's always a sign, something that will point us back to that covenant. When He makes a covenant with Moses, it's a covenant of the law. A sacrificial covenant. And so the sacrifices always point back to what was given to Moses, but ahead to Jesus Christ. When He comes out of the ark and there's a rainbow, and God says, this is my bow, put in the sky. When you see it, you'll remember the covenant I've made with you. How many of you think about that every time you see a rainbow? All right, you may not go through the whole Sunday school story, but you see a rainbow and you think, man, that's, what, that's God's bow he put in the sky after the flood to let everybody know he would never destroy the world that way. And now he makes a covenant with Abraham and he comes up with a means by which they'll be reminded daily 
of the covenant God has made with them. Now, circumcision became something that got really, really off the rails the same way that baptism has in a lot of our denominations today. And I'll, I kind of want to talk about that and get to that. All your male descendants were to be circumcised. Circumcision would take place on the eighth day. This is the sign of the promise. Three and four, both natural-born descendants, far and slaves, will be circumcised. Anyone who refuses circumcision must be cut off from the people of God. Circumcision was a representation of God's promise with them. Every time a male saw the result of this sign, he was reminded God's made a covenant with us and our descendants. This would have been a daily reminder. You with me? Without me, I don't need to get too graphic, right? This would have been a daily reminder to all of the male descendants that what God had promised them. It was also pointing ahead to not physical circumcision, but spiritual circumcision of the heart. It was pointing ahead to Jesus Christ who would fulfill the covenant God had made with Abraham, who would be the perfect sacrifice. The promise to Sarah. First, he says to Sarah, I'm going to change your name from Sarai to Sarah. It means princess. It's, a, it's an apt name for my daughter, amen? She's like a little princess sitting there. Some people agreed, say. She'll soon give birth to your son. Two sons, two promises. We work our way through this chapter that covers a lot of information two sons two promises the first promise is this I'm going to give you a son and you will call him Isaac everybody remember what Isaac means right laughter yeah it's why we named our fifth child Isaac yeah God has a sense of humor we did everything we thought right wrong And he does make us laugh every day, at least two or three times. The other times we want to beat him. Going to bless you through Isaac. I'm going to give you a son, Sarah. Understand the desire of Sarah's heart for so long she wanted to be a mother. And then God, 24 years before this, says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a descendant that will bring your descendants to where they're numerous as the stars. Can you imagine the hope 24 years ago that Sarah would have had? God's going to give us a child. And a year goes by, and two years, and five years, and ten years, and fifty, and twenty, and now we're 24 years later. You, you begin to understand why 13 years before she comes up with an idea to try to help God out. She desperately wants a child. Can I just say this? God knows the desires of your heart, and God delights when he can give them to you. Make sure you hear this. God does not take any pleasure in not giving you the desires of your heart. But God will not give you the desires of your heart if they are not good for you. If they do not fit within his eternal plan for you. If they don't bring glory to his name. 
But this is a promise he can deliver on. I'm going to give you a son, Sarah. You're going to give birth to him. Not, not your handmaiden, not someone else. You're going to be the one who gives birth to the descendant of Abraham who's going to bless all nations. Two sons, two promises. Here's the first. That they're going to have a son named Isaac. Here's the second. He's going to be the son that's been promised. Here's what God's saying. I'm not going to take my covenant I made with you through your descendants and apply it to Ishmael. Ishmael's descendants are not the descendants of the covenant I've made, Abraham. The covenant I've made with you is going to come through your descendant, Isaac. Isaac's going to have sons, and they're going to have sons, and they're going to have sons, and it's through that line that your people are going to bless the whole world, that the gospel message one day is going to be proclaimed to the world through your lineage. Ultimately, a Savior is going to come through your line, Abraham, but through Isaac, not Ishmael. But I hadn't forgot Ishmael, Abraham. I know that he's your son. Can you imagine? Abraham must have loved Ishmael. For 13 years now, he's been raising him. It's his son, his blood son. He loves him. You can see why he would say, God, why not just give me the promise that you made through my son Ishmael? He's a good boy. Maybe, you know, I don't know. The, God said he was going to be a wild donkey. Maybe that was like after teenage years. Why don't you just bless us through Ishmael? Because the promise is going to come through the son of Sarah. Ishmael. Through that son, you'll become the mother of many nations. That's Isaac. Great rulers will descend from her. Ishmael's not forgotten. Twelve tribes. Isn't that something? You, I hope you knew this, right? The twelve tribes of Ishmael. Much like the twelve tribes of Israel. God hasn't forgotten. God's going to bless him. But God's not going to bless the world through that lineage. It's going to be through Isaac. Here's what I'd like to do. Is just give you some very practical three little notes that I've made uh, that I believe can help us apply this passage. Sometimes we look at historical things in Scripture, and we have to get through the history. We, have, we can't just skip it, right? It's there for a reason. We've got to read Genesis 17. It's going to lead us into 18 and 19, and if we don't read it, we'll never be able to understand those passages that are to come. Here's what I want to share with you this morning uh, about how you can live a life pleasing for God, about how you can make sure that you're in touch with El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, the mighty God. And this is the first thing. Since he is El Shaddai, he's still able to move mountains for his people. Make sure you hear this. God is still capable of moving mountains in your life. He is God Almighty, the Lord Almighty. And with him, all things are possible. So whatever the desires of your heart are, God may have to say no if they're not good for you or good for his plan, but when God can say yes, he delights. I love when I can say yes to my children. As a parent, don't you get some joy out of being able to, to meet a need or a want from your children? I love when my kids come to me and they're interested in something and they really want to get involved in something and I have the ability to help make that happen. With five, we say you can choose one thing that you like to do for your whole life. And we'll try to help you do that. 
and Clemson wasn't on the list, and all of a sudden we're going to be paying for Clemson. God can still move any mountain in your life. What is it today that is in your path, that is in your life, that is causing a hindrance to you, that's stopping you from being who God's called you to be and stop you from doing what God's called you to do? What is it that is holding you back from the peace that the Lord Jesus Christ died that you can have? What is it in your life that is a mountain that needs to be removed? I just want to remind you that El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, can still move mountains. Mark 11, 20, chapter 11, 22 through 24 talks about where Jesus is talking about moving the mountains. Jesus said to his disciples that through faith, God could literally move mountains. If you say to this mountain over here to move over there, God can do it. I thought he moved one this morning when the house started shaking on me. I want to throw this up. Hopefully you can see it. I came across it this week as I was reading and studying. I really like this definition of faith I found as it um, goes with this passage. Faith is telling the mountain to move and then being surprised only when it doesn't. Man, this is practical, right? This is just rubber meet the road. If I really have faith, if I'm really trusting God, it doesn't mean God's obligated to always say yes to me. So don't, don't misunderstand me. If it's not good for me and it's not good for the kingdom and it's not good for the glory of God, God will say no every time, no matter how much faith I have. But if God can say yes to my request, I believe He wants to. Faith is mountain move and then being flabbergasted if it doesn't. Lord, touch Joel and being amazed if he doesn't. That when we pray and we truly trust God, that we are amazed when God doesn't say yes to our prayers. I would submit to you that most prayers that are being prayed in most churches in America today aren't getting answered. And God hasn't changed. Why has his response changed? Maybe it has something to do with us. You ever find yourself praying and realizing that you're asking for something you really don't know if you believe is going to happen? I'm just being honest with you. I'm just trying to, to lay it out for you. You ever, ever say to somebody that they'll see me, hey man, be praying for me. You say, okay, what, what, you know, how can I pray? What's going on? Is there something I can pray for specifically? And they're like, I need you to pray for this. And, and you, you start to pray and you realize halfway through the prayer, I'm just going to happen or not. I really don't. Hey, faith is, man, when I'm praying, and if it don't happen, it surprises me. I remember one time when I was uh, the youth pastor here, Josh came to me, and Josh said, man, I need a job. And he said, I want you to pray that I'll get a job. I said, Josh, you better tell me what kind of job you want. If we just pray God give him a job, you might get a job you don't like. So Josh made kind of a list of what he would like, and we started praying for those things. And sure enough, just a few days later, Josh gets a job he wants. That ought to happen more often than it does. That we're surprised when God doesn't say yes. Number two, listen, God's call to you sometimes will require acts uh, that may seem strange to you at the time. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've, if you've just listened to this chapter, 
My name's Dr. Bruce, but I ain't that kind of doctor. You know what I'm saying? When you read about what God asked him to do, Moses, to seal this covenant, I want you to circumcise yourself and all the men in your household and all those you bought. I don't know about you, but it sounds weird to me. I'm sure Moses, like, Abraham, not Moses, oh, he got circumcised later. But Abraham was kind of like, you want me to do what? You want me to take all of my servants and all that I bought and all of the young men and, and me, myself, at 99 years old, and, and you want circumcision to be the sign of this covenant? I would just say to you, sometimes what God asks us to do doesn't make sense to us. I'm sure Abraham wondered about this. Um, I also read this. If God is in charge, we can do the difficult because he can do the impossible. Sometimes God will ask us to do things that are difficult, man. And we're able to do the difficult because our God's able to do the impossible. So whatever it is God's called you to do, whatever it is that's on your plate that you know God has allowed to happen in your life, know this, no matter how difficult it is, you can get through it, you can handle it, because with God all things are possible. I'll finish with third thing is this every single one of us need to be circumcised today you said pastor what are you talking about I'm, I'm talking about Romans chapter 2 28 and 29 where Paul is talking and he says a Jew is not a Jew because of outward things Here's what he's saying. Just because a Jew gets baptized doesn't really make him a Jew. It's when his heart is circumcised. It's when, as Ezekiel 38, 36 says, it's when God removes the heart of stone from me and gives me a heart of flesh. It's when God takes the old man and makes a new man. That, that's circumcision. Right, the circumcision of Abraham was pointing ahead to the circumcision of the heart. What Abraham had been told to do by God would be a pointer to a Savior who would come and a Savior who would come and change their hearts and give them a new heart. Paul said a man's not a Jew if he's only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart. By the spirit. Not by the written code. This is what the writer is saying. We don't get there by checking off boxes. Just being circumcised doesn't make you in right relationship with God. 
In the Old Testament, it became this. It became, uh, be circumcised. You were circumcised, then you were right with God. No matter how you lived, you just went through the motions. You were circumcised, and, and you were declared to be right with God. Where, where God never told Abraham that. He said, be circumcised as a sign of what I've promised you. Circumcision was a sign that you had relationship with Christ. What's that equivalent to today for us? Baptism. We don't get baptized so that we might get saved. We get baptized because we are saved. And baptism doesn't save you. Paul could have said the same thing in Romans, right? Be baptized as evidence of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be baptized in hoping that it will save you. You can pay your tithes for 12 months, 4.333 weeks a month, and you can still be just as lost as a person who never steps foot in a church door. You can be baptized 13 times, and some people have, and still be just as lost as a person who never steps in the door of a church. There's only one way to salvation, and the only way to salvation is trust in Jesus Christ. If you put your faith and trust in something other than Jesus, I just want to, I want to give you this news. It may be breaking news. Listen, if you've trusted your salvation to something other than Jesus Christ and Jesus alone, then you are not saved. The only means to salvation is Jesus Christ. Take his word for it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No added, nothing added. By me and baptism, by me and the Lord's... No, just by me. And so I pray that today your hope and your trust is in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We see an institution being uh, begun here of circumcision that will lead to the New Testament where Jesus is going to give us a new heart and that's the circumcision we're seeking is a new heart. And so circumcision is a big deal to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. But it's always pointing us to Jesus who is going to change our heart. Take our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We pray that your word penetrate hearts and minds. We know that only your Holy Spirit can convict the hearts and minds of people. So today there may be some here, Lord, who need to hear directly from you. My words will always come short of your words. I pray that my words will be hidden so that your word may be revealed in the hearts and minds of those here today. Anyone here today who needs to get something right with you, I pray today before they leave, they'll do business with you. If there's one here today who has never given their life to Jesus Christ and today their heart's kind of pounding and they know they need to get right with God through Jesus Christ, I pray they step forward and would be saved. Oh, Lord, maybe we're just dealing with calling in our life, what you've called us to do and what you've called us to be. And, Lord, if we're not living within your will and how you've called us to be, where you've called then make that clear to us today. And like Abraham, who was obedient, that we would say yes immediately to whatever it is you call us to do. And we ask in the precious, holy, beautiful name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen.